0: Before people decide what they think of your message, they decide what they think of you. Hi, welcome to another episode of MD. This season, we are going to do Crash CEO School, where we're going to cover material that any leader or CEO would need to run an amazing organization. The skills you need, the mistakes to avoid, everything you really want to know on how to move your organization forward. Now, if you like content like this, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps us bring you even more content like this. Today's topic, we're going to talk about how to build culture in an organization. Building culture is a very fascinating thing because a lot of people leave culture to chance, and they don't really realize how much leadership plays an integral role in building culture in an organization. If you just hire and pray that you get the right culture, invariably, it's probably not going to end well. And if you actually don't look at building culture as a main task of your leadership, it is probably not going to end well because random cultures generally don't do well. So how do you build culture? The first thing you have to understand in building culture in any organization is to see who you already have in an organization. Now, we divide up most people in our organization as two types of people, people who are Amazing people, but they're clocking in and out versus people who are owners who really feel like this is their company. Now, we'll have other podcasts about how to convert people in your organization to owners, but first, let's just talk about what happens when you have predominantly people who are clocking in and out and versus organizations where you have predominantly people who are owners. If you're in an organization where 80, 60, 70, 90% of people are clocking in and out, any person you bring into the organization is going to feel the pressure to conform to the majority of people who are clocking in and out. And by the way, they may be doing a great job, but they're still clocking in and out. So the flip side of it is if you have an organization that the majority of people are owners and you bring in someone who wants to clock in and out or who comes with that background or expectation, they're going to feel tremendous amount of pressure to conform and either become an owner or leave the organization. So what happens in these kind of things where 80%, 90% 80%, 90% of the people are predominantly renters, as we call them, versus owners. Any new person coming into the organization will feel like a renter. And same thing in the other organization where predominantly everyone's an owner and somebody comes in, they're going to feel a lot of pressure to be an owner or leave. These are how these organizations actually perpetuate itself by having a predominant ownership versus renter mentality. Now, what's interesting is what happens if your organization is 50-50, 60-40, what have you? That becomes where your skills come into play because if you're 50-50 and you hire a few more uh, owners, what they may do is actually tip the scale and put pressure on the renters to conform and vice versa. So, this is where it's critically important not only to bring in more owners but possibly you know figure out a way to have some of the renters leave the organization and so this balancing act and your job as leader is to get the organization to the point where you're 60, 70, 80, 90% owners, so the pressure will be on anyone who joins the organization to conform. And actually, they will. Do, your staff and your other leaders will do all the heavy lifting for you because you don't have to go and... Tell people, hey, you got to be an owner in my organization, our organization, because they will have gotten the message not from you, but from everybody around them. You don't have to go there and convince them that, hey, you got to want to. Uh, move the ball forward for this organization. It's got to be more than a job. They're going to feel it from people other than you, which is the best place for them to to hear it from. If they look around and see a bunch of owners, they don't have to hear from you that they need to be an owner. They naturally will get the idea, and certainly in certain cases they'll get the idea that this is not for them and they may decide to move on. So it's a really – incredible dynamic that you are in control of. So when you're starting an organization from scratch, now you realize why it's even more important the first couple of people in your organization need to have that ownership mentality. And again, we'll do a whole new podcast about how to develop that, but I just want to relate that to you. So let's assume you get there and you have an organization where you have predominantly owners. So what are the things you have to do to really perpetuate and maintain that kind of organization, I've come up with three large rules that you really, really need to work on, three main things that you need to work on to continue that organization of ownership because these are the people that are going to really grow your company the people who feel like this is their retirement plan that you're going to take care of them this company is going to take care of them they're going to grow with this company because they're owners so what well, how do owners think owners think oh my company grows I grow so if your company has a bunch of people who are owners their their mentality is i need to grow this company because I need to grow. So let's talk about the the three main things. The first thing I want to talk to you about is you have to become a role model for your organization. I can tell you the person at the top has to be a role model. And what do I mean by role model? Role model, not necessarily in the traditional sense, but some of it is pretty traditional, but some of it is not. The first thing that as a role model, you have to do, and we talked about this in my previous video, is you always have to be on. I think, not, you know, it's hard to ask for people to like, hey, treat this place like you own it. But after five o'clock, you're not available. And on the weekends, if stuff hits the fan, you're not available, you're not around. It's really difficult to send that message that, yes, we need everything besides God and your family, this has to be the most important thing in your life, and yet you're you know, just out and about, and there are weeks at a time where you're gone. Life happens. There are times where you are not available. But if that's your predominant personality or that's the predominant message you're sending, I, I can tell you that probably is not going to translate well, and you're not going to be able to convince a lot of people to become owners of your company or their company uh, while you have this mentality, so again, always being on that doesn't mean w- always working, as I stated in my previous video, but you always have to be on if you get an email on a Sunday afternoon when something's hit the fan, your biggest client is going berserk, and you 're nowhere ne- near near you 're nowhere to be found, or your software system just crashed, and this you know the whole company's come to a screeching halt, but nobody can get a hold of you that's probably not going to send the right kind of message. Next thing I want to talk about is being ethical in terms of being a role model. Obviously, if you're not ethical, what do I mean by ethical? I'm talking about you know, making the right decisions, being fair, you know, not crossing lines, always telling the truth. Your word is your word. At the end of the day, and I say it over and over, before people decide what they think of your message, they decide what they think of you. And if you are the kind of person whose word doesn't mean a lot, if you're willing to cut corners, um, you know, how you treat your competitors, if you use uh, any techniques that, you know, let's say are less than ideal in terms of ethics you know your staff your senior leadership will pick up on that and i think sending a message that you are a kind of guy who 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 does things the right way it's not at any cost that you actually care about your customers you care about your vendors you care about your staff those things cannot be replaced once once they lose that once they feel like anything goes with you as long as the company makes more money, I think you're going to have a hard, hard time, you know, convincing them that they should become an owner, right? Because uh, who wants to be an owner in that kind of situation? The next thing which kind of ties into what I said is also for you to be driven and hardworking. So if you're uh, kind of kicking back a little bit and just, you know, delegating tasks And, of course, you have to be a good delegator. You don't want to micromanage. We're going to talk about that. But if you're kicking back uh, with three-hour lunches and what have you um, and sending this message that you're not working as hard as they are, um, I don't think you're going to get uh, much adoption that this is a company that they need to own and give everything to. So remember that that if you're not always on, you're not ethical, you're not driven, you're not hardworking, it's going to be really hard to ask for senior staff and other people in your organization to do the same, okay? So they're going to be looking at you. Before we go to our next topic, I do want to thank our sponsor, eNational Testing, for sponsoring this episode of MD. Why hasn't getting a simple laboratory test been as easy as ordering something online? Well, now it is. With three simple steps on enationaltesting.com, you can have your laboratory test ordered, go in for testing the same day, and get your results quickly, right to your email. Enational Testing is fast, convenient, and confidential. Begin taking charge of your health today with Enational Testing's complete healthcare panels and easy to understand results at over 2,000 locations nationwide. No matter who you are, where you are in the United States, or what your health concerns are, E National Testing is your comprehensive resource for laboratory testing services. It's time to focus on yourself. Let us do the hard work for you. E National Testing, easy, convenient, and tailored to your health needs. Okay, number two, mentoring. People often don't realize that being a leader often means investing a lot of time in mentoring your staff. And what do I mean by mentoring? First of all a lot of times people confuse micromanaging and mentoring. We don't want you to micromanage. We want you to micro mentor. Okay. Which is different. Micromanaging is where you hover over and read every email and cross check, you know, double check everything uh, your staff does and, or, you know, want detailed input of everything, uh, every little process of what's going on in everyone's work day. That is, sometimes it's confused with micro-mentoring, which is to be there for them to go over the hard interactions, the tough emails that they have to go through, the tough vendor relationships, client management. You know, if you... Bring someone on board, and this is your field and your industry, and you're the Michael Jordan of of this industry. It's your job to impart some of that. And what does that also mean? That means investing time and energy. I see so many senior leaders hire someone. Oh, we just hired a director of marketing you know what, if you just hired a director of marketing, you may have to spend several hours, maybe five, 10 hours a week the first few months with that person to kind of not necessarily hold their hands, but give them advice Give them the insight. Well, listen, that client. This is the way they like to be taken care of. You know, we've tried this in the past. We tried an e marketing strategy, email marketing strategy last year, that worked. That didn't work. But let me tell you, you know, how I see it. I think investing in your senior leadership, especially in the first few just few months, uh, first six months pays dividends beyond what you can imagine. I I see it all the time where people hire someone for a department. They may have a one-hour meeting with them and occasionally say hello to them in the hallway or bop their head in. Investing in your, especially your senior management, almost has to be your full-time job. And again, this doesn't mean hovering over them and double-checking their work but mentoring them, especially if you have a lot to offer because you've been in the industry for many years, you've already tried uh, you know, different techniques in the past and uh, how you deal with clients, how you deal with tough situations, how you deal, how you deal with tough coworkers. These are all skill sets, especially your younger senior staff that are going to be leaning on you to give them guidance. You know, Often I tell my senior staff, even if something goes well, you know feel free to come to me and say you know this thing went well but it may have been it could have gone better you know how would you have handled this situation do you have that kind of relationship with your senior staff where they can come to you and say you know this thing went okay but could would you mind like how would you have dealt with that you know could could it have gone better right so if they're if they're afraid to come to you or you don't have the kind of relationship where they're going to come to you and say hey this phone call was okay not great could it it could have been better how would you have handled it if you're getting a lot of those interactions and i think you're doing a great job at mentoring okay so remember you're going to have to mentor your staffs, especially your senior staff. Invest a lot of time. Do not hire and just send them off to their desk and pray for the best. Let's talk about the things you really do want to mentor your senior staff on. The first thing I always focus on is teaching, especially younger staff, what coachability means. Because I have rarely seen rarely see someone climb to the top of an organization if they're not coachable. And what do I mean by coachability? Well, I think, first of all, everyone thinks they're coachable. But coachability means when you get constructive input, do you take it personally? Do you you get defensive? Or do you try to absorb what the information is and understand it's only meant for you to get better. I think a lot of people need mentoring on coachability because it's not necessarily a given that you will be able to handle constructive input, especially if you're relatively new to the workforce or you haven't been in a situation with a lot of responsibility where, you know, especially as you're learning the field, you're going to make mistakes and you're not going to do things perfectly. And once your senior people bring that out to you. How do you handle it? Do you get defensive? Do you get hurt? Do you pout? Do you do you sulk? Uh, do you get passive aggressive? These are all things that people who are coachable don't do. And I think for you to mentor people and say, "Listen, when you get constructive input, you know, understand that it's only there to make you better. It's not there to insult you to make you feel bad." And I have found when people are not coachable, they're so tied up in defending themselves, even in their own mind. They don't, they don't even listen to um, the, the critique or the constructive input. I, obviously, the input has to be done professionally and gracefully and with care. But once you give the feedback, people have to understand how to digest the information. So teaching your senior staff and people in your organization how to be coachable is immensely important the next thing we touched on earlier is ownership how do you teach someone to get a sense of ownership for the company and you know the question i always tell um you know uh, people, CEOs, say ask their leadership, hey, if I sold you the company, would you show up tomorrow morning and give me a different product? And if the answer to that is yes, I would give you a different product if I own the company, then I think the question is, well, what do we have to do to get that product out of you in exchange for that? We're going to take care of you professionally and financially. So it's a quid pro quo. You can't ask for people to be owners if you're not willing to give anything back. So we'll talk about that in number three, but how to get people to actually become owners so you tip the scale in your organization and you have more owners and renters. So teaching ownership, is is something you're going to have to really work at. Remember, 95% of jobs in the United States don't require ownership. You know, if you have a job at a department store selling, you know, apparel, no one's asking you to change the stock price of the department store. They just want you to come in, do a good job, you know, s- sell some stuff, be nice to everybody, be nice to your coworkers and go home. No one's asked, no one wants you to to change the stock price of the department store. But in organizations that are startups that are lean and mean and literally, you know, want to grow, that's the kind of thing you want. You want a lot of people who are there to make a huge difference. And that's not intuitive, especially if someone's coming in where the last few positions were positions where, the, where their bosses were more than happy if they clocked in and out. But now you have to say, okay, that was your previous jobs. In this organization, clocking in and out won't be enough. However, if you help us grow and if you're part of the reason why we're growing, we're going to take care of you professionally, financially. So that is the trade-off. So the last thing that I think part of mentoring is I think a lot of leaders mentor and push people to improve their productivity and improve uh, what their performance is. But you know, one of the things that mentoring does is you have to mentor people, not only for them to improve themselves, but one of the things that we focus on a lot is you have to get people to understand that it's not enough for them to be great. The question is, are they making other people in their organization great? Because at the end of the day, how many hours a day can even your best staff give you? Eight hours, 10 hours, whatever it is. But they can't give you 50 hours a day. They can't give you 100 hours a day. right? They can't give you seven days a week. But if you really want that impact, if you really want a person who can have an impact multiple of what they're doing is if they can impart and improve others give others that sense of ownership coach them mentor them and help grow them because this really has a multiplying effect beyond what any one person can do so as part of your mentoring process you you have to help work with your staff and say listen listen you know, yes, you're great and I and and you're doing a great job. But, you know, let's you and I sit down and figure out how can we, you know, work with the two new people we brought on board last week? How can we grow them? How can we give them extra skill sets? How can we encourage them to, you know, come and try to grow our company so they can grow? So, it's this multiplying effect that really is The one of the key mentoring things. And believe me, when I talk about mentoring, I'm talking about these things are not intuitive to people who just start in in any organization, whether it's coachability, whether it's ownership, whether it's improving others. I'm not sure the majority of people necessarily start a new job or join an organization with those things in mind. I think they start, they want to do a great job, they, they want to do their job, they want to do a great job, but I'm not sure those three things are necessarily in everyone's wheelhouse and that's where you step in. You as the leader need to provide that mentorship, that guidance to grow those things. So the third thing I want to talk about is if you're successful and if you're a great role model and if you invest in your staff and you make them coachable, you give them a sense of ownership, you teach them how to improve others, then what you need to do then is acknowledge that. If you're no good at acknowledging once they give you all that – I, the thing's going to fall apart. Once you need to acknowledge, and you need to reward professionally and financially, not necessarily in the short term, but in the medium long term, you know you have to reward that and and just acknowledge it because. You know, why should someone come to your company and give all of that if at the end of the day, you know, nothing changes and you you sort of give them a paycheck and that's it? You know, acknowledging, promoting professionally, financially is a huge way to tie a ribbon around this whole concept of building culture. So to build culture, you're going to need all of that. Okay, well, thank you so much. This is our overview on how to build culture. Uh, If you um, like this kind of content, please comment, like, and subscribe below and uh, join us for the next episode of Bakhtari MD. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Be well.